Hello and welcome. You've tuned in to the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. Remember, we were talking about three deserters, three different people that abandoned the Lord work and were runaways, I guess we might say. In Acts chapter 15, I want to begin reading in verse 36. We did talk about this little bit Sunday. We saw that Peter had been imprisoned earlier in the book of Acts and that when an angel came and released him, he went to Mary's house, Mary, the mother of John Mark. And there was a prayer meeting going on there. And of course, we see how Peter wanted to go where it was familiar, where he knew that brethren would be. And then many years have passed, about 10 years have passed. And we find now this time when Paul and Barnabas, after they have been ministering, doing a great work together, and they've come back in chapter 15 because there was a question about the Gentiles. Did they need to follow the law? Did they need to be circumcised? And the Jerusalem church in council gives a letter to go back to the Antioch church. Paul and Barnabas go back to Antioch. They preached and taught there for a long time. Then in verse 36, it says, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with him John, who is called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they departed from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So we understand and we remember what we read last week or Sunday, how John Mark when the going got tough in the mission field and we saw that they were doing a great work, evil was coming against them. Remember Elymas, the sorcerer, trying to thwart Paul and Barnabas's work. And we saw from Galatians that Paul probably caught malaria. And it's about that time that John Mark realizes, hey, this is hard work. The ministry is tough. Their mission work was extremely difficult, walking so much. And then John Mark being responsible for taking care of the, the missionary's needs. And what does he do? He takes off. He leaves. That's why the division that we just read in Acts 15, 36 through 41, that's why the division comes. Because John Mark couldn't take it. The heart was gone out of him, and he just deserts. We talk about Peter, how he left the Lord, how he 
denied the Lord on three different occasions. But now, John Mark taking off, and he goes back to Jerusalem. He goes back to Mama. He doesn't go back to the Antioch church. He goes home. Now, after all of that time, and we've seen how he has just taken off on that, Paul saw him as a deserter. Paul recognized that John Mark just couldn't really be counted on. But Barnabas was always a man of encouragement. He wanted to bring John Mark to encourage him, not only because he was family, it was Barnabas's cousin, but because Barnabas saw that there was something useful in John Mark. And I think that John Mark suffered great shame. He lived in disgrace. He lived with that pain of having fractured Paul and Barnabas's fellowship in all of those areas. So after leaving with Barnabas in Acts 15, 39, Mark kind of disappears from the annals of church history. But this is before the second two missionary trips, second and third of Paul's missionary trips, let me say that. Barnabas, by the way, drops out of the scene. He's only mentioned one more time in Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. And so Barnabas is out of the picture. In all of these things, Paul goes off with Silas, and we follow him and the works from chapter 15 on through the end of the book. Ten years later, the Apostle Paul... He's under house arrest. This was his missionary journey that took him to Rome. He's under house arrest in Rome. And he's writing during this time the prison epistles. He's writing to the churches. He's writing, and he is writing one of them, the epistle to the believers that were at Colossae. He writes a letter to the church members, to that church at Colossae, and at the end of the letter, in Colossians 4, remember I read this Sunday, chapter, chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision they have proven to be a comfort of me. So now we've seen the change. Now Paul says, John Mark is a comfort to me. So many years have changed. 10 years, Paul's attitude has changed toward Mark. A decade before, he thought he was unreliable. He thought he was a deserter, a coward, a mama's boy. He didn't want him to be around. And now Mark is being uplifted, extolled by the apostle as a man to be welcomed, a man to be warmly embraced. And Paul says he's a comfort to me. We're going to see exactly how that was so. We're going to see exactly how, because at the same time, the apostle Paul writes to the Colossian church, he writes a letter to a man by the name of Philemon. And as he's writing to Philemon, it says, and let's just go over to the book of Philemon. 
because we're going to spend most of our time there, the rest of our time there. He says to Philemon, look at verse 24. It's all one chapter, of course. He says in 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do who? Mark, Aristarchus, Demons, Luke, my fellow laborers. So there he names them and he tells them, these are my fellow laborers. And Mark is on the team. Mark is part of it. Mark is there being used in this, in this great work of the Lord. And six years after that, now we're about up to 67, somewhere around that idea, about 67 AD. Paul is in prison now a second time. This is his last time. He's about to be martyred. He's about to be executed. It's inevitable. And he writes his last letter from Rome during this second imprisonment, the final inspired epistle. He really opens his heart. Remember, that's where he says, I've run the race. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. He was looking forward to that heavenly reward, that prize in 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 11. But he has a request. This is the end of the line for him. Paul writes Timothy in, chapter, in 2 Timothy 4, 9, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Cretans has gone to Galatia, and that, of course, we saw was for ministry. Titus as well. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. And then he says this, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. Here's the story of restoration, recovery. Paul, once so badly hurt, so wounded by the desertion of one of his companions, and now again hurt by the works of Demas that had gone off after worldly pleasures. Now he's saying, please go pick up Timothy, or Timothy, go pick up John Mark, bring him along. Why? Because John Mark was such a blessing and a help in Paul's first imprisonment that he wants him there again in his final days. We asked the question Sunday, what changed Mark? What happened to him? What transformed him? And I want to tell you that something that transformed him was what, to bring, becoming one of Paul's co-laborers was another very powerful person, another prominent apostolic preacher. His name is Peter. We know that Peter was very familiar with John Mark and his family because as I started out in the sermon Sunday, where is it when Peter is released? Where does he go? He goes to Mary's house. Mary, that Mary who is the mother of John Mark. Here is someone who can teach, if anybody knows about how to be restored, it's Peter. If anyone knows how a deserter can get right with the Lord, I think it's Peter. That restoration that Peter would have understood because Christ ministered to Peter right after his resurrection because Peter had felt so abandoned that he had just disqualified himself, it seemed. 
he had denied Christ. So he is the one who had the most monumental defection. It was Peter himself who was restored, denying the Lord. And now you ask, how do I know this, that it's Peter that's doing that? It's because in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 13, he says this, that she who is in Babylon, and right there, Babylon is a euphemism for Rome. That's because Rome is so much like what Babylon was. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, that is to the church that was at Rome, greets you. So does Mark, my son. Peter calls John Mark, my son. Now he's not his physical son, but he had become his son in the faith. In those silent years, and we don't know anything about Mark, he's being discipled by Peter. And it could well be because Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 came to the Lord. It could have been that John Mark was even in that group. It could have been that he often heard Peter's preaching and teaching because after all, the believers had gone to his mother's house. He would have been very familiar with Peter and Peter's teaching and Peter's kindness and maybe Peter telling of all of the times that he was standing there with the Lord. And so Mark, not being the son physically, but the son of faith, Mark had heard the great good news of Jesus Christ through Peter. No doubt, probably I think that his salvation came under the preaching of Peter and he'd heard Peter preach in his own home. And after that meltdown in Acts 13, when he abandons the ministry and he flees back to his home, he finds Peter still in Jerusalem. Peter is used by God to restore this man, John Mark, to, to usefulness. But there's much more. <laughs> that just brings us right up to where we needed to be. The testimony of church history confirms that Peter came to Rome in the early 60s and he ministered there for several years. And it's likely that he arrived after Paul's first imprisonment. So kind of get that timeline. We're talking about Paul's first imprisonment and his second imprisonment. First time he's under house arrest. The second time he's in, really in jail and he's going to be executed. Before Paul's second imprisonment, and when he was executed by Nero, probably around the year 65 AD, that would have been about the time that Peter was there. And while Peter was there in that capital city preaching, helping the Roman church, he writes two epistles. He writes two letters. They're known to us as 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And it's in 1 Peter 5, 13, that he says, Mark my son. Paul said, bring John Mark. Mark wasn't only discipled by Peter in his home in Jerusalem, but he's taken by Peter for his ministry in Rome, a ministry of preaching and teaching that really leads to Peter's death. Nero has Peter put to death. They're against the Lord's churches. Think about what an astonishing privilege 
this man, John Mark, has. He's nurtured, he's discipled, he's cared for by probably two of the greatest names that we have in the New Testament, Peter and Paul. What an astonishing and immense privilege to be a companion in the most difficult, challenging ministries and even to be cherished as an intimate, close friend in those final hours of these two great apostles. And he was useful to these two great leading apostles that were ever thought of. And you might think that it was a great honor that Mark was given, but that's not all. He's given a greater honor than that. He was given the privilege of our Lord under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write the Gospel of Mark. And if you study the background of the Gospel of Mark, you know, and church historians also have said that the influences and the content of the Gospel of Mark really come from Peter. So while Peter is nurturing Mark, while Peter is caring for Mark, Mark is drawing everything he can from Peter about our Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit enabled him to write it down without error. So there's testimony from the early church writers, early church fathers of the connection between Mark and Peter and Mark's authorship of that very gospel. So you know that the Lord is in the business of picking up people who are rejects, picking up people and restoring them to ministry. I want you to see how wonderful and how incredible that is. How useful is Mark? How useful is Mark in your life? Has the gospel of Mark impacted you in any way? Have the words of scripture ever been used by the Holy Spirit to leap off the page and speak to your heart? I know they have to me. There's rarely a day that goes by that somehow the scripture just speaks to you I can't imagine anyone that could have been used at a higher position being privileged to write one of the four Gospels, one of the four biographies of the Lord himself. Can you imagine a more unlikely choice than John Mark, the mama's boy, the ministry defector? Can you imagine how it is that God used him? that our Lord Jesus chose this man. And while Mark was with Paul in Rome during the apostles' final imprisonment, there is another man who shows up. That's why I wanted us to go to the book of Philemon. The other man's name is Onesimus. This is our third deserter. Onesimus, by the way, was a runaway slave. Mark was a runaway missionary, wasn't he? Onesimus, a runaway slave. Here's how the story really unfolds. He is owned by a man by the name of Philemon. And Philemon is associated with the church, and he is a leading member of the church that's at Colossae. Paul, in that first imprisonment, writes this letter to the Colossians, but at the same time, he writes a letter to Philemon. Why does he write to Philemon? Because of Onesimus. 
Onesimus belonged to Philemon. He was a slave. He's really an urban slave. He lived in the house with the family. He would have been intimately connected with their family because Philemon is a brother. He's a believer. And because Philemon is a leader in the Colossian church, we can be certain that he is a very fair master. He's a gracious master. That's how Paul speaks of him when he writes this book only one chapter long. As a matter of fact, in verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, Philemon's house. So it names some of his family. This is Philemon. Now we're introduced. But Onesimus, in spite of the fact that he had been well cared for by Philemon, he wants his freedom. I think we can understand that. So he becomes a fugitive. He runs away. He's a slave that takes off. And where does he go? Well, he goes where runaway slaves could get lost in the crowd. He goes to Rome. He runs off and he goes to Rome, hoping to get lost in the masses of people. Because that great imperial city of Rome, the estimates were that there was somewhere between 800 and 900,000 people at Rome about this time. And there's no tracking devices. <laughs> Today we have facial recognition. None of that sort of thing went on. No kinds of tracking devices that could find people in that day so he could get lost in the 800, 900,000 people. But he could not hide from the Lord. He could not hide from God. When the Lord was looking and dealing with this man that had such a great testimony from Philemon, the Lord's word was still working in his heart. And so through the circumstances we don't know anything about, God brought Onesimus to Paul. I think Onesimus had heard about Paul. The people at the church at Colossae would have known Paul. They would have heard him preach. They would have heard him teach. And I think Onesimus had heard Philemon talk about Paul, this great apostle, and he was preaching throughout the Gentile world, might have heard him, might have actually known Paul, we don't know, but it, it is reiterated to him by Philemon, and Philemon's family was believers. His wife, his son are identified here by name as believers, as we've just read. So maybe he was in Rome and began to look at all of the chaos in his own life. Maybe he was just seeking out believers. He would have perhaps known some of the Roman church, some of the Roman believers, because he was a slave in the house of a prominent, prominent leader in the Colossian church. So whatever the circumstances, we can suppose, we can think about, but he finds his way. We know that it was mostly by the Spirit of God leading him to Paul. And he comes to know Christ as Savior. Onesimus gets saved. His name means useful, and he quickly becomes useful to Paul. Look at verse 12 of Philemon, and then we'll jump down to verse 16. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart. Look down to verse 16. No longer as a slave, 
but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So there he is. It tells us something about this Onesimus. He's that runaway slave that's come to know the Lord. In verses 11 and 13, he serves Paul in his imprisonment. He says in verse 11 of Philemon, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. And look also verse 13, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. So Paul wants to keep him. He says he's useful. He's a child of God. Here's a runaway slave who's come to Christ. He's serving Paul. Remember, Mark is there also. So Onesimus and Mark together serving Paul, one a runaway missionary, the other a runaway slave. But because he's a runaway, he's committed a felony guilty crime, a, a serious crime under Roman law. And in the eyes of Roman justice system, they would demand justice. Something has to be rectified. He has defrauded his master of his services. Some would think that possibly he stole money in order to make his way to get to the big city of Rome. Maybe from Colossae he had to steal some money. We don't know. But nevertheless, Paul says, if he owes you anything, I'm going to pay it back. But Paul knows he has to go back. So he writes the letter to Philemon, and he tells Philemon to accept him back, bring him back. And that's what this whole letter is about. And that very letter is very clear that Paul could keep him because he's so useful. But Paul wants to do what's right. He wants Philemon to forgive Onesimus, to embrace him, to restore him. The apostle sends Tychicus to deliver the letter to the Colossian church and also to deliver a letter to Philemon. And he sends Tychicus along with Onesimus, who is called a faithful and beloved brethren who is now one of you. So now together, Tychicus and this fugitive slave Onesimus head back to Colossae there's a vital mission. They're delivering two inspired letters. And in Philemon, Paul says, this is a huge sacrifice for me to send Onesimus back. He knew that he could be punished by death because Roman law allowed that. There were so many slaves in Rome, they would not allow an uprising. And so they dealt very harshly with the slaves. It could have been that he was just branded on the forehead, fugitivus, been branded for life. He could have been severely beaten, and that would have been justified. Slaves, of course, treated harshly because Rome was afraid of them uprising. In order to mitigate all of that, they made punishment for runaway slaves very, very severe. So we have Philemon, a true believer, a beloved friend, a fellow believer, a child of God, a leader in the church of Colossae. He would have been familiar with part of that family. Paul knew that whole family. So here's the appeal. Verse 8. Let me just read that to you. Verse 8. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, 
But yet, for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And now he is appealing for Onesimus. What's he say? I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my chains. You see, he was once unprofitable. That's what verse 11 says, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and me. It's like sending my heart. I, I love this man so much. That's what Paul's saying. I love him so much. I, I wish I could keep him with me, but Paul had that capacity to love people that served him, including Mark, and wanting Mark to be there even at the very end of his life, and including this runaway slave. What did he say? He ministers to me in the chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I want to do nothing, for your good deed might not be of compulsion, but as it were voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him for other. In other words, maybe he ran away. Surely he did that, couldn't escape God. That he might be sent back, verse 16, no longer a slave, but much more than a slave, a beloved brother, a child of God. And in Paul says, especially to me, but now also to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. And if you then count me as a partner, receive him as you would receive me. And if he has wronged you, if he owes you anything, put that on my account. I'll pay it. I'll take care of it. So how did Philemon respond to this? Well, church history indicates that he responded as you would expect him. It responds with forgiveness, with love, with full restoration. There's a footnote, and by the way, I'm having to go back and look at early church fathers and early church historians. Around A.D. 110, there's a man, an early Christian leader. He's well known to all church historians. He's called Ignatius, the Bishop of Antioch. Now, bishop is just the word for pastor. So don't go thinking he is above someone else, that he is a higher preacher. He's just a pastor. Ignatius is the pastor of Antioch, and he writes a letter. And in 110 AD, he wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus. And in that letter, he addresses a pastor of the church at Ephesus multiple times. So time after time in that letter, he is writing, he is addressing the church and their pastor to a man by the name of Onesimus. It's well believed this is the same Onesimus that was Philemon's runaway slave that he is reconciled. There's very good reasons and facts because the timing is identical with what we would have expected. The timing is what we would have considered because Onesimus was young when he runs away and he meets Paul late in the 60s, the late AD 60s. Onesimus, if he were in his 20s when he ran away, he would only be something like 65 to 70, maybe even into his early 70s. But by the age of 70, he would certainly have been identified as the elder but he is called the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Particular significance there. 
But another writer, F.F. F. Bruce, he, this is what he writes. Why then should one connect this Onesimus, who was the pastor of Ephesus, about 110 with the Onesimus in the book of Philemon? Because Ignatius, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, shows himself familiar with the epistle to Philemon. This is one of the rare places where patriotic literature, by that just means literature of the early fathers, where the language of our epistle is closely echoed. Not only so, but the part of Ignatius's letter to Ephesus where the language of Philemon is echoed is in part in which the bishop is mentioned in the first six chapters 14 times. What am I saying? Ignatius writes a letter that echoes Philemon, the book of Philemon, that uses the name of Onesimus 14 times. So Onesimus, a runaway slave, is forgotten. <laughs> he is forgiven. He is embraced. He is restored. He becomes part of the church at Colossae. And years later, called to the ministry by God, he is serving as the pastor of the church at Ephesus. But going even farther than that, F.F. Bruce, again, that New Testament scholar, commentator, he suggested that Onesimus was instrumental in collecting and preserving letters written by the Apostle Paul. What a responsibility. He gets all of the letters from all of those sister churches and he gathers them into one place. A servant of Paul, until Paul's death. He'd been a servant of Peter until Peter's death. But he was a servant of Christ until his own death. And history tells us that Onesimus during the reign of Emperor Trajan, that he was martyred cruelly because he refused to deny his Savior, Jesus Christ. He faithfully served his heavenly master until the end, as did Mark, as did Peter. But they know one another. They work together. This is the conclusion of the whole message. God is in the business of changing defectors, of making defectors useful servants for his work. For Mark, a restored deserter, helping Peter, helping Paul, then used of the Holy Spirit to write the gospel. Onesimus, a forgiven fugitive, the story of their lives point to the fact that God uses unlikely people for heroic purposes to advance the kingdom of our Christ. Good news. I think that's good news for all of us. You have no idea what God might be planning in your life. You don't know what he might already be unfolding there, but you're called to be faithful. Mark ran away, but he came back. He was faithful. He came back, and that's why Paul said this, I was a blasphemer, injurious, a persecutor of the church, but God showed me mercy, and now I am what I am by the grace of God, and his grace was abundant to me. So what I've been saying all along in this message, God has to use the weak and the failing and the frail deserters 
and the ones who just don't seem to be the leaders that we might look at because that's the only kind of people that there are. He continues to use us for kingdom purposes. What a privilege to be used of him. What a privilege that we have. I know I spent some time and went back and looked at things we reiterated Sunday, but I wanted you to see how God brought John Mark and Anisimus together, how he used these men in a great way in the ministry of Christ. Because Christ uses us, even if we have panic attacks, even if we run off, even if we're unfaithful at times, he is faithful always. And it's by his help and his working that we can, we can be useful in any way. Paul, the persecutor of the church. Peter, denying the Lord. How many people have we seen in Scripture whose lives were tremendously changed? I can tell you of lives I've seen of men that were murderers, wicked, evil, haters. But Christ is still in the business of changing lives and taking horrible people, having committed extremely horrific crimes, and he can use them for the cause of Christ. He can use you. He wants to use you today. Won't you just come to him? Thank you for joining us today, and we hope you enjoyed the message. We trust you have been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions, or perhaps you have questions of a different topic, let us know. Our information is given on the website, or can reach us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Upon the tombstone said he is risen just as he said.